It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Hey, TGIF, we made it. It is uh, date night in America. Finally, Friday, and uh, Pilk, we, we didn't get preempted today for anything, did we? Five o'clock, we're back. We are back at five. We did not get preempted. How about that? I don't know what to do with myself. I won't have to work till seven o'clock. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge on a uh, on a Friday now. That's good. That is good. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Nice to have you with us. Uh, always great to have you along on uh, 94.3 The Game, 94.3thegame.com, the IBX Media app, and any of our uh, various apparendi that we uh, we stream on. We've got a great, uh, for video, we've got a great uh, show for you today. We've got, uh, coming up, Brian Murphy later on. He is uh, with WRAL Digital, uh, an investigative digital reporter for them. He uh, is going to talk to us about uh, the sports wagering, and uh, they had that commission at its first meeting yesterday, so what came out of that. He's also going to talk to us about uh, a little bit about the Florida State lawsuit, trying to leave the ACC. So all of that with Brian Murphy coming up. But first, back by popular demand. Hardest working man in football. It is Doug Martin, Coach Martin. We've twisted his arm one more time. I figured since there was no Logan today, we needed the the, the next best thing to Steve Logan, and that's Doug Martin, with a little Logan knowledge on a Friday. Uh, that means Logan must be playing tennis somewhere or something today. <laughs> <laughs> I think they just ran. The Brinks truck only has so much money in it, you know, and so. <laughs> right? with, when it reaches that last dollar, coach ain't uh, coach ain't taking one for the team. So wait, 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 wait a minute! He gets paid for this? Are you kidding oh, me? I, more than I, I can't you can get, imagine. I can't, even get a, I can't even get a Cubby's gift certificate from you guys. What the heck? I <laughs> uh, look. You need to talk to the uh, to the double agents, <laughs> respectively, about all this. They need to hook uh, you up with something. I, I've been saying that uh, for a long time. Good. All right, how are you, coach? I'm doing great, Patrick. How about yourself? I'm all right. It is now the UFL that uh, you're kind of involved in. That was announced by The Rock on New Year's yeah. Day at uh, College Game Day. So what's – I don't want to – well, I mean, you're doing some work for them today, obviously. It's, it's draft day, I believe. So what's going on with that? Uh, well, you've talked – you've hinted at it a little bit. We've talked about it a tiny bit, this merger between the uh, XFL and the USFL. So it's now the UFL, and it'll – It'll start here soon. It is now the UFL, so it's an eight-team league still. Uh, they took four teams from the USFL, four teams from the XFL, and those are going to be the teams that are going to compete. Um, we were on the New Orleans team last year, which actually was one of the teams that was not continued, but our entire coaching staff got moved over to the Memphis team, so I'm going to be the offense coordinator for the Memphis Showboats, and uh, we're going to direct that team now. So 
little bit of a challenge because we got to, you know, rebuild another team. You know, we rebuilt New Orleans okay. last year. Came in, came in second and did really well, but uh, we got to rebuild uh, Memphis now. So there's a draft today where we can draft all the players that were on the teams that didn't get continued. So obviously we'll go try to get quite a bit of our guys from New Orleans uh, to come to Memphis now and play for us. And then there's going to be another draft about two weeks from now uh, of everybody else on the XFL side and the USFL side. So eight teams, we're all going to be located in Arlington, Texas uh, for practices okay. and, and a base. But then you'll fly out to your home cities for games. So like when we do play a home game, we will fly to Memphis and play our games there in the Liberty Bowl. And uh, so looking forward to it. Should be exciting and uh, looking forward to working with those guys again. When's the last time you were in the Liberty Bowl press box? Last year. We played uh, Memphis. That's right. In, uh, yes. Memphis yes. Yes. New Orleans. So, yeah, we actually were there a couple of times. We had some scrimmages there and then and then played there. And then uh, before that, it would have been East Carolina, though, when we were in the uh, bowl game. <laughs> yeah. What do you remember from those ECU bowl games at the Liberty Bowl? Oh, you know, the, uh, the first one, obviously we got beat by Illinois badly and, but they were a tremendous team. We went back the next year and beat Stanford and that was a great one. I, I enjoyed that. The, the, the banquet at that one was the best, uh, because <laughs> I, I know Tyrone Willingham, this is a Logan story now. This is a Logan story. So Tyrone <laughs> Willingham is the head coach for Stanford. And they asked him at the banquet, you know, could you talk about some of the distinguished alumni that Stanford has? And he rolled off senators and presidents and doctors and lawyers and all that stuff. And then they asked my man, Logan, you have any distinguished alumni at East Carolina? And he said, uh, we had David and Darren Hart were our safeties at that time. They were twins. And he said, yeah, we got the Hart twins. They're and about the first time you guys run that toss suite. They're going to distinguish themselves. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a pretty good line. And sure enough, in that game, one of the first plays, they ran a toss sweep. They ran a toss sweep, and one of those kids came up and hit that fullback so hard, he knocked them both out. And uh, so, yeah, that got the game started off for us. But that was a fun one. That's great. That's awesome. There was uh, something, too, about uh, Logan talked about Eastern North Carolina in that uh, at that banquet, too. And uh, I've heard the story before, and uh, it's yeah, pretty funny. I mean, there's Oh God, I, I should write all those things down, write a book one day or something. Nobody would believe it, but I could, I could write a bunch of good stories. Coach Doug Martin's with us here. All right. So do you have a roster or are you totally from scratch with your UFL roster now? So yeah, we were able to protect a certain amount of players from the Memphis team last year. So we could keep 42 of those guys. We could protect and keep them. Okay. And then, uh, and then what we're doing today and as building the rest of the roster up. Uh, so we will take, I believe it's 75 we can take into camp. Oh, wow. But eventually we'll have to have that down to about 48 before we play the first game. So it's going to be a lot of players for camp. It's a four-week camp. Uh, I'll actually leave. I have to be there February 19th, and then our first games are March 30th. So a uh, four-week camp to get that number down to your to your playing squad. What is your priority today you know, from your end of the ball? Yeah, well, it's always quarterback. You know, we had a really good quarterback, uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson, who came out of the Canadian League and won a couple of CFL championships. He played for us last year. He went back to the CFL. So, you know, we've, we've got to get a quarterback for the Memphis team. Actually, you know, we need to get two, actually. So, um, you know, we've got our eyes on a couple of uh, particular guys. Um, 
and hopefully get that done. And then other than that, it's, it's really speed at the skill positions. And then in the UFFL and USFL, XFL, all that, the same, the offensive linemen have been the hardest really to find, you know, quality offensive linemen. So with this pool available now, being able to draft from teams that uh, weren't continued, that there's some pretty good offensive linemen out there. So we'll certainly be working that. Well, thank you for taking some time with us to uh, talk to me and before our our vast radio audience. We're we're horning in on Logan's vast audience today here on the uh, on the program. All right, national championship game is uh, Monday. Uh, what did you think of the semifinals? Yeah, yeah, I thought Alabama was disappointing. You know, I thought the, the offensive plan they had was just terrible. You know, they didn't didn't accentuate the quarterback's abilities at all. They tried to make him a drop back passer in that game all of a sudden and that's just not his game. You know, they didn't move him enough and things like that. I thought that really hurt them. Um but you know Michigan played a great football game. So I think you probably got the best two teams going at it right now. Washington, you know, and you and I talked early in the year, I told you to watch Washington. That quarterback for Washington, I've watched him ever since he was a freshman back in Indiana before he transferred out to Washington, and uh, he, he's special. Penix is a really gifted quarterback, and I really like them. Uh, I, I think I would give them the edge in this game just because of him and those receivers they have. They can really throw the ball effectively, and that's where if you're going to beat Michigan, you got to be able to throw the ball well because they're going to stop the run. And uh, I, I think Washington have a great chance this game. I think it would be a really good game. It was He was the best player on either field. Penix was. I, uh, I don't on, think he's any, uh, I mean, yeah, you watch the anticipation he has on throws. I mean, he, he lets the ball go well before receivers are out of their break. He's got, you know, great accuracy, puts the balls in tight spaces and it throws one of the prettiest deep balls uh, of anybody I've seen this year. I mean, he is really, and, I, and I'll tell you what, he's really smart. You can tell because he's changing protections for them. He's, he's, you know, he's calling a lot of things at the last scrimmage. They, don't waste many plays because like, they don't run many bad plays into bad looks because he's able to get them in the right place. So uh, he, he's fun to watch. Where where do you, Doug, see Michael Penix at the next level? Well, you know, again, I, I think he's the right people. You know, he needs to be with somebody like Kyle Shanahan that knows how to coach and develop a quarterback at that league. Um, you know, Peyton with the Broncos, one of those type of people. If he can get one of those guys, you know, where he's going to be developed the right way, uh, he'll be special. You know, if you have one of those careers like Justin Fields, probably should be a good quarterback in the NFL, but he's been with, you know, some mule trainer offensive coordinators, in my opinion. <laughs> developed they haven't developed him the right way. And, and, you know, there's really something, too, like I've said before, Everything starts with a quarterback. I don't care what league you're coaching, you know, high school, college, or, or professional. It all starts with that. And it just amazes me, you know, how much bad coaching there is right now, especially in college with, with quarterbacks. And you can watch it in the bowl games uh, this season. Some of the quarterback play has just been awful. And, and uh, you know, I, I have a hard time watching games not from a coach's lens so, you know, I'm watching how they're working things and how they're, you know, using quarterbacks. And, you know, it's just becoming a lost art. Everybody wants to go to the transfer portal and get an already finished product to be the quarterback instead of developing one and coaching one. And I, I think that's just a terrible mistake. Doug Martin, one-time ECU offensive coordinator, uh, now OC in the UFL. 
and uh, of course the head coach at uh, Kent State and New Mexico State during his uh, time. He joins us from the Crystal Coast. He's down there at Emerald Isle. Is it? Too, it's not too cold to fish, is it, Coach? This time of year, it's not too cold, is it? No, I've been been out quite a bit. Today's a little chilly, and, and got a lot of winds coming up the next couple of days. But uh, you know, you can still get out on the boat almost any day down here. <laughs> this, this is one of the greatest places in the world to live down here now. Well, you're uh, you're you're a lucky guy, uh, and we appreciate you joining us here. We're going to go back to the Alabama Michigan game. That play in overtime that Alabama was. Was that because of the low snap and it was a bit of a busted play, or was that a design run in overtime? You're talking about the fourth down play? Yeah, the fourth down play for Alabama. Yeah, that's a, it, was, it was a design quarterback power, and, and again, one of the worst calls. You, I mean, you can't make that call on a fourth and three, fourth and two. You know, they motioned the back out, so they were in an empty backfield, and you know, obviously they're going to cover the back out of the backfield and then try to just run the ball up in there. I, I you know, you got to give the quarterback a run pass option in that situation. So, you, you know, you have some, some options, you know, you can't just ram the ball up in there on a power play, especially against somebody like Michigan. So, you know, I, I have a very questionable call. Um, with Michigan McCarthy, uh, their offense struggled in the second half, but that drive he went on. Uh, to tie the game, what did you think of his play on that particular drive and for the game as a whole? Yeah, I mean, you know, Michigan knows who they are. I mean, they they are not a throwing team. They're not going to beat many people throwing the ball other than some play actions and things like that, but they run the ball really effectively. They are a a tremendously physical football team up front in the offensive line, and they're going to play to their defense. And, you know, when you have the talent that they have, you can do that. I think that'll be a little bit harder against Washington because I do think Washington will be able to score on them. Uh, they don't want to get into a, you know, a shootout. If they, if they get in something that's anywhere near a high scoring game, they're, right. they're in trouble with their offensive right. type mindset, but, uh, not many people have been able to do that to them so far. So, you know, it's worked well for them. The, uh, Dunsey, the, uh, receiver also, uh, Polk, uh, a couple of big, uh, hundred yard games for them. Uh, what do you think of those two receivers for Washington, Coach? Uh, Washington has an elite group of wide receivers. I mean, those guys, they've got tremendous speed. They get out of breaks. And I'll tell you what they do better than most receivers you'll watch across the country is they can make catches with contact. You know, very, very seldom in the NFL or UFL where I am now are people just wide open. There's always going to be a catch with right. contact. And, yeah. and that's what these guys can do. You know, you watch them in that game against Texas. There was a lot of really good coverage. I mean, the DB is right there. But those receivers, first of all, the ball's placed perfectly, but those receivers are able to make plays with people around them. And, and that's the mark of a really good wide receiver. Uh, one other thing on the uh, from the semifinal, Ewers for uh, Texas. 20 years old. Uh, what do you think, uh, over 300 yards, what do you think of his performance? Yeah, I mean, he played well. You know, the job that's been done at Texas by Sarkeesian has been remarkable. I mean, he's really, he's given them an identity. You know, they've gotten tougher. They've gotten to be a more physical football team on both sides of the ball. 
But for the first time in a long time, they have an identity on offense. They know that they want to throw the ball to set up the run, and they do it really well. He, he's a phenomenal coach. He's got a great mind. And one of those guys that does a great job of coaching quarterbacks and, and developing quarterbacks. And you, know, and you can tell because he's had so many in his career and different types of quarterbacks. He said guys right. that were mobile would run. He said drop back passers. And he's been able to win with both. Which you know, that's the mark of a really good coach. How do you see uh, their transition to the SEC in Oklahoma's next year? Well, it's going to be different. You know, once you get into that league, I mean, there's no there's no weeks off. I mean, it doesn't matter who you're playing. I mean, you know, everybody in that league has elite players. Um, it's not like you know in the Big Ten where you're going to run into you know Northwestern and Indiana and those type of schools and and even where they're coming from, there's some schools that they know they're going to win just by because of talent. There's very little of that in the SEC. I mean, any team could beat you on any given week. And you know the six win teams are, you know who Auburn. You know you got you know who's still pretty good at times if they rise up and play to their potential. So it'll be tougher. Um, but I think they are ready for that, and, and they're able to recruit with the best in the country. They've got, obviously, unlimited NIL money, so they can compete in that world. And uh, it, it'll be interesting, but I, I think they'll both do well. All right. Uh, with with the national championship game, uh, I know you, you said earlier you like Washington, but as you break it down, uh, why do you like them, and, and uh, what do you think Michigan would have to do to, to win this game? Yeah, I like Washington just because I think they throw the ball well enough to to score points on Michigan and and make it to where Michigan's offense has some pressure on them and they have to to score uh, instead of being able to just be very conservative and and just running the football. I, I think if Washington can, you know, I think if they can get somewhere around twenty eight points in this game, thirty points in this game, I think they win it. Um, Michigan has to control the game, you know, so obviously they've got to run the ball and, and eat, eat up clock. Uh, they've got to get off the field in third downs. You know, they've got to be able to get some pressure on Penix and get off third down will be a key for them. If he's able to convert on third downs and move up and down the field, then it, it'll be a long day for them. Yeah. Uh, Coach, let me ask you a couple other things uh, before we get a break here in a few minutes. Um, you mentioned Sean Payton. Uh, this week, uh, Russell Wilson benched. Um, does Russell Wilson have, does he wind up somewhere? He's going to get a boatload of money, guaranteed money. So that's one thing. He'll never have to do anything again if he doesn't want to. But does he have a, was that just a bad marriage? Uh, even though Russell Wilson had struggled the year before? Yeah, I think it's a bad fit. You know, whenever you're a new coach coming in, particularly in the NFL, and you have a, a quarterback that's coming to the end of his career, that's not a good match. You know, when you come in, you need a either a, a guy that's in the prime of his career or a younger guy that you're going to develop. Um, it's just not a good not a good match at all. And, and there's so many other things in professional football. Other than just the talent and who it is, because it's it's all related to money and economics, right? I mean, Russell Wilson is eating up a lot of their money that they could use to go out and get players that they probably need to win. Um, so that's one of the other things I'm sure is a motivator behind all the scenes on all that stuff. Also, you got to anything in professional football, you got to look from an economic standpoint, also. And I think that's probably where they're looking right now. 
Panthers, you've talked about Bryce Young. They wrap up what has been a uh, an atrocious season on Sunday against Tampa Bay. Uh, the quarterbacks in this are pretty interesting. Baker Mayfield, who's been up and down in his career, has been a little up and down this year. They, they didn't play well against New Orleans. But why has Mayfield worked in Tampa this year? Well, I think, again, they've played to his strengths. You know, they're not asking him to drop back and throw the football 40 times a game. Um, you know, they've developed it. They didn't have a running game at all, you know, in previous years. They've been able to run the football a little bit better. They're using his mobility, moving him a little bit, a lot more play-action passes and things like that. I think that play to his strength. Uh, and whenever he can get on the corner and run a little bit, it, it makes him a lot more effective. He can get first downs with his legs. So I think they've used him really well. And he's got a lot of experience under his belt. He's a really good, you know, good solid quarterback. I don't think he's one of the top quarterbacks in the league, but he's a solid guy that has a lot of knowledge and, and understands the game. And he's just played within himself really well. Mike Evans, too, having him, the guy's, the guy's a Hall of Famer at receiver. I mean, the numbers yeah. he's put up are it's so consistent, yeah. so unreal. Well, listen, you got to have people around you. I mean, the quarterback is, is you know, going to be very average unless you have some receivers. You know, in that league, you need a really good tight end. You know, you've got to have a tight end in the in the NFL. That's why you don't see in the NFL no teams playing with four wide receivers a lot. And that tight right. end is so big for a quarterback in terms of pass protection, being able to chip a five technique on the line of scrimmage before he goes out, being able to get open versus safeties and man-to-man coverage, the mismatches they can create. Um, so that, that's one of the big things. you got to have people like that around you, and that's what Bryce Young doesn't have right now. In my opinion, right. he, there's just yeah. not enough people around him right now uh, to take any of the pressure off of him. All right. Uh, we're going to hold you over for Hold My Beer. Are you ready for It's like a What Grind My Gear segment. Are you ready for this? <laughs> uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You have some gripes, I'm sure. All right. So Coach Doug Martin will give us a little uh, Hold My Beer when we come back. Stay with us. It is the Friday edition. The TGIF gets you to the weekend edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Do you have something you need to get off your chest? Get off your chest. I am not here for rage. I'm here for revenge. Did your favorite team blow another game? They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Or is there just something that's driving you crazy? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. It's time to let it all out. You have made me very angry. Very angry indeed. With another edition of Hold My Beer. Hold My We'll hold my beer. You know the rules. At least if uh, you don't, you should by now. Uh, basically, uh, it's a what is, grinds my gears segment. It's uh, what uh, what may agitate you, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, Doug Martin's going to play it for the first time here today. So, uh, Coach, uh, do, you, do we need to go first to give you a taste, or do you have something that you know, you say, hold my beer, and then you lay out whatever. And it could be anything. It could be sports, slice of life, post-Christmas, whatever. Do we need to have somebody go first before you, or do you feel like you could uh, you could go here? Sure. Let, let somebody go first so I can scout this out first. Okay. And then, then yeah, you want to scout it. That's the sign of a yeah. great coach right there. All right, Pilk, you ready? <laughs> Fill up the ref Pilkington. Yeah, I'm ready. With a hold my beer. Go ahead, Pilk. All right, so hold my beer. 
the overtime rules in college football. I had no problem with them before. And then all of a sudden during COVID, they decided to change it where the third overtime was just a two-point play because it would keep the players from being on the field less time during COVID. They'd already been there for three hours, might you. But anyways, that's not the point. Point is, I was thinking the second overtime started the other day. What if this great football game, this playoff game, comes down to just two-point plays? Okay, if they want to keep that in the regular season, yes, college football games are already too long. But in the playoffs, they either need to adopt an NFL overtime or play every overtime the whole way like they do the first one, where you're free to do whatever you want. You don't have to go for two. It's not just a two-point play because a team should not lose a chance to play for a championship off a two-point conversion. That It's not that they scored and earned the two-point conversion, but just because the rules are stupid. That's Hold absurdity. All right. Your, your notion is absurdity. All right, Coach, we comment on this after we do it. So what do you think of Pilkington's proposal to just to- – we do this for the whole season and just abandon the overtime rule when you get to the postseason for the playoff? Uh, I, Dear Lord. I actually like that. I actually like that. Oh. I think it should be oh. more of the – I think it should be more of the NFL overtime rules where, you know, you don't want to keep them on the field that long, so fine. If somebody goes down and scores a touchdown in the very first overtime, then they can win the game. If it's just a field goal, then the other team still gets the opportunity to go out and, you know – push the game farther, but I, I would agree. I would hate to see a championship game come down to a two-point play. There's a lot of things in college football that need to be moved toward NFL-type rules right now, and I, I would say that's one of them. Thank you, Coach. I agree Always with your notion. <laughs> I agree with your notion, Pilk, but what I don't agree with is doing the whole thing through the whole regular season, and then you get to the playoff and you change it. So I just implement it the whole way through. So, Coach, what you're oh, saying cool is, with Pilk, what you, I'm cool right. with that. I'm just saying, if they want to keep it the way they have, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't be as upset for the regular season. I get it, games right. are long, but I, I'm okay with it going totally. I've always said they should do I, NFL. I really time. do yeah. like the NFL rule uh, and doing that for college. That means you could have a tie. In yeah, the it regular should be season. the NFL rule the whole way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. All right, so that's that's hold my beer, Coach. Are you ready, or do you want me to go? Uh, do I just get one of these, or do I get multiple of these? I've got two. You can, I need uh, to you, all right, you got two, but you got to say hold my all beer right. before each one. So start all with right, the first one. All right, so hold my beer. I want to talk about this transfer portal thing a little bit and, and the way college <laughs> coaches are, are going after this thing. I'm Not from a standpoint of players can transfer all that stuff and everything, but college coaches are becoming so reliant on this transfer portal that they're becoming lazy. You know, they're not recruiting in high schools anymore. And there are so many great football players in the state of North Carolina that are not getting recruited now because all these college coaches are just going these transfer portals. And the only reason they're going there is because the guys in there have played a little bit of college football or been on a college football team. Doesn't mean they're better. Doesn't mean that they're going to develop and be better than the high school kids. It's just an easier way of evaluating. And I think we're missing out on a lot of great football players in high school that would have had scholarships in the past. And I think it's making college football not as good. The talent level is not as good because we're not developing players anymore from the high school level up. Uh, and I think just, again, my, my frame on that is that the college coaches are becoming very lazy with that instead of working the high school recruiting. One thing that this has done is you got players that are at smaller rural schools. 
and good programs that would have gone somewhere maybe D3, NAIA, or even D2, they're getting pushed out at the 1A and small 2A level because guys are getting bumped down because they're not getting scholarships because of the portal. And so that, that type of player who, who wasn't going to play Division One but could still play football at a, at a D2 or D3 level isn't going there now because they don't have the opera, at least at D2, because they don't have the opportunity for any money. All right. Well, I'm That's hoping, good. I'm hoping this will fix itself a little bit. You're right, coach, that the, they won't get the D1 offers they deserve. But part of the reason I think this is happening is you're having the portal got implemented right before COVID hit and you have all these kids with an extra year of eligibility. So I'm hoping once all the COVID kids graduate, you, one year you're going to have two years worth of kids graduate. Coaches are going to have no other opportunity or no other option. To go to the high school ranks because yeah. you won't have all these extra kids. Yeah, the problem though is there's still over a thousand kids left in the transfer portal every cool. year that don't get anything. That don't get anything. Right. They just jumped in that portal and and coaches are using it to get rid of kids now too. You know, yeah. if they don't like a kid, he comes and they don't like him after a year. They force him in the transfer portal, so he has to leave instead of again coaching that kid and developing over a couple of years. And again, that's where I really feel like college coaches are becoming really lazy in terms of developing players. What's your second one? The NCAA. Whoa, right. hold my beer. Hold my beer. Hold, you my, say right. hold my beer. Hold my beer. The NCAA, who I've never had a love affair with anyway. But how about <laughs> hire some former coaches to help you guys make rules because you don't know what you're doing? The playing season needs to match up. The calendar needs to match up with recruiting, with the transfer portal, with hiring coaches. All that needs to match up with your season. You should not be able to hire a coach until after the season is over. That way, a team like Tulane, who went, who had a phenomenal year, went and played in a bowl game and looked like a high school team because their coach had already left for another job. He right. shouldn't have been able to be hired until after the bowl season is over. That's what the NFL does. You can't hire an NFL coach until the season is over. And that's right. what should happen to keep the coaches there until the season is over. So those seniors get to have the value of winning that bowl game. You know, they just hung those seniors out to dry at Tulane. That's not right the way that's done. And so same thing. The transfer portal should not be in place until after that season is over. So maybe more of these kids will still play in a bowl game because the bowl games were absolutely horrific this year because you have, you know, all the best players are not playing. They're all getting ready to go right. into the transfer portal because that's what's what's out there right now. And recruiting. Recruiting should not start until after the season is over, or at least the first signing period should not until the, until the season is over so that everybody's on the same ground. The teams that are in bowl games don't get punished because they're having to recruit and prepare for a bowl at the same time. That calendar doesn't match up with the season at all. It never has, and they don't understand that there because they'll never listen to the coaches. Here, here. I, I think what we're determined here is that the college game needs to take itself closer to the pro game as well, far as calendar rules. and Yeah. 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 Um, hold my beer. By the way, I have figured out, Pilk, how to use my iWatch. It's not an it's an Apple Watch. It's not an iWatch. I call it the iWatch. Hold my beer, neck pain. But, but uh, hold my beer seriously, this stinking weather. Because it's like the second time on a Saturday or on a weekend in like the last three or four weeks that we're going to have this nor'easter come up and it's going to rain all day. And I guess that's fine, but, you know, I, I, I want to be outside. I want to have the option to go somewhere and not have to deal with 
pouring rain. So that's just my hold my beer. Mother Nature's my hold my beer. You can't fish in rainy conditions. I guess you could, but you don't want to fish in rainy, cold conditions. You don't want to, but there's no way of fixing that, man. There's no way of fixing that weather problem, brother. Mother Nature's the worst. She's the worst uh, woman any yeah. of us have ever dated. Well, I've got a few that I have. All right. Um, hey, uh, Coach, thank you very much. Good luck to everything, and we'll talk to you soon. You guys, I've enjoyed it. You guys have a great New Year. All right. Happy New Year to you. There he goes, Doug Martin with us here. That was fun. Um, Pilk, let's do your update because we got to get to Brian Murphy, and we're running a little late on that. So here's Philip the Ref Pilkington with a 94-3 The Game Sports Flash Update. Thank you, P-Man. It will be a fun-filled weekend in Pirate Athletics as both the men's and women's teams will be in action. The women will travel to Memphis on Saturday to take on the Tigers. They try and build off their conference opening win over UTSA. The men did not open conference on a high note as they fell to FAU, but they will try and bounce back as they host Tulsa on Sunday at 3. game can be heard all right here on 94.3 The Game as part of the ECU Sports Network with network coverage starting at 2.30. The NCAA has announced that walk-up songs will be allowed during postseason baseball play for regionals and super regionals. Also this morning, friend of the show, Travis Hancock, put out a tweet that says, quote, Hearing Harbaugh has interest for the second year in a row, but apparently the feeling has not been mutual from the Panthers, end quote. Um, earlier this week, four-time Pro Bowl running back Dalvin Cook was waived by the New York Jets. He has now been signed to the Ravens practice squad. That'll do it for your 94 through the game sports flash update and pirate report. On the other side of this timeout, we will be joined by Brian Murphy to talk a little bit about sports gambling in North Carolina. We have you covered with all the ECU news and beyond that you need for the drive home. The Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. All right, all right, all right. Welcome uh, back. Uh, So on uh, Thursday, the North Carolina Sports Betting Commission had its uh, first meeting. Uh, they discussed a number of sports gambling-related issues, and here to talk about that uh, with us. And uh, what's the timetable on all this? Brian Murphy, we've had him on many times before, investigative reporter, sports investigative reporter for WREL. He joins us uh, here from uh, from the WREL World Headquarters. <laughs> Brian, you there? I am, I am. Thanks for having me on, Patrick. Awesome to have you uh, with us uh, here. So, what uh, what what are the big takeaways from yesterday's meeting? Well, the big thing that we've been looking for is what date is this actually going to launch? I mean, I think everybody uh, has come to grips with it won't be by the Super Bowl, but when will uh, sports betting launch in North Carolina? And we still don't have a date. Uh, there's been a push to get this done by March, and I think all signs are pointing that sometime in March this will launch. Uh, but we did not get that date uh, from the sports betting committee on, on Thursday. How many uh, vendors or how many of these uh, sites or providers have uh, applied to have a license in North Carolina? Was that revealed on Thursday? Yeah, right now, that, that actually came out a little bit uh, last week, but right now seven operators, and they're the ones you would think of, FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM. Uh, there's there's one called Underdog Fantasy, which is which is an interesting player in the in the space. 
Uh, Fanatics is another one that's that uh, bet ESPN bet. So m- many of them you've heard of. Uh, there are seven, and they have to get these written designation agreements with. Uh, either teams or leagues or facilities in the state. So only seven so far. Uh, that number surprised me a little bit. Um, they're able to award up to 12 licenses, but right now only seven have met that December 27th deadline. And that deadline is important because those are the only ones that the Idaho, uh, that the North Carolina Lottery Commission has said will uh, be able to go live on the first day. They can guarantee that if you got your application in by December 27th, that you can go live on the first date where they'll take sports bets in the state. Brian Murphy, sports investigative reporter for WRAL and WRAL.com is uh, with us uh, here. We're talking sports gambling in North Carolina. Is this just the process of the sausage being made and this is what takes so long as implementing it? Or did were the proper mechanisms not truly in place to get this going almost virtually from day one? Yeah, there does seem to be a lot of hang-up on how long this is taking. They passed the law back in in the spring, in March, I believe, um, or it was signed in June. It was signed in June by, by Governor Cooper. Right, uh, then, right. Of course, in the budget, uh, there was a change made to the sports gambling law, and so that didn't pass until you know late in the fall, October-ish. Um, and I think it's just taken a while for the for the lottery commission to ramp up. They had to hire a, a regulator to do this, and they've passed a lot of rules and regulations. I mean, uh, all these operators that have applied for a license, uh, what they spent most of the meeting talking about tomorrow is they have to test all their internal controls. So they have to test whether or not they can keep people's money secure. They have to test whether or not they can produce a, a report daily to the commission about how much money they've taken in on betting. They have to prove that they have a responsible gaming uh, you know, apparatus set up. So there is a lot that goes into it. Now, this has happened in a lot of states. It does feel like North Carolina could have moved a little quicker on this because uh, you know many of these companies are doing business in other states. Um, but the commission will tell you they're moving as fast as they can, and they want to get this launched, but they want to get it launched responsibly. What are you hearing as far as the date? I mean, uh, the Super Bowl, as you said, is uh, not happening, but what, what – your ears is to the ground on this. What do you think happens? Yeah, if you back out that December 27th date, um, they have the commission, according to the law, has two months to approve, has 60 days to approve those uh, licenses or approve those those applications. Um, and that would put us right at the end of February. And so I think sometime in early March, uh, probably before the NCAA tournament, is, is that two-week window that I'm looking at, somewhere from March 1st. To March fifteenth is the is the two week window that I'm looking at, and I imagine that the commission is getting pretty close to announcing that date. I, I don't know. Okay, they meet next week on January tenth. Maybe we'll get a date then, but I imagine we're we're getting close to them announcing the go live date. When they launch or they announce a date, obviously they want that to be the launch date. But how much latitude will they have? I mean, is it is that a soft launch date, or do you think that they'll have their ducks in a row enough that it actually would be a a hard deadline they can meet. Yeah, I think they want to announce a date and, and have everybody go live on that date, or at least the, then it will be in the operator's court if they're ready to go live. But I, I think they don't want to, to soft launch this. One thing that came out of the meeting yesterday is that in, uh, is that mobile sports betting will begin before in-person sports betting. Sure. Um, certainly yeah. there's lots of regulations about these facilities uh, that will be on, you know, 
maybe a PNC Arena, maybe a Bank of America Stadium. Uh, there's more regulations that go with those. They have to be able to secure the cash. Uh, they have to be able to, to do other things. So they announced yesterday that mobile betting will launch before in-person. I don't, and I don't think they want a soft launch. I think they want to say, hey, I'm throwing a date out there, March 8th. Everyone at midnight, everyone can start betting. Or at 8 a.m., everyone can start betting. Right, right. Uh, Brian Murphy at WRL Sports, investigative uh, sports reporter, is uh, is with us uh, here. With the brick and mortar, I was going to ask you about that. How much longer will that take after the digital version of all this launches, do you, do you believe? You know, I thought they were all going to kind of launch together. But, uh, you know, yesterday they indicated that that, that won't be the case. And I'm, I'm not sure how much longer it will take. The other thing that I, I keep trying to point out is that uh, we keep talk. We talk a lot about the brick and mortar, the in-person sports betting. I don't. That's going to be a very, very small part of the right. total revenue right. that comes in from this. And so, while I think it's it's really interesting to talk about, I've certainly spent a lot of time trying to figure out where they would go and and who might might launch one first. I, I'm not sure that anyone considers those really big business at this point. Um, and so, I'm not sure you know who's even going to be up. Ready to ready to launch at this point. Um, I know the Canes, uh, you know, certainly about to undergo a lot of renovations at PNC Arena. Maybe maybe in Charlotte where they have more established arenas and and they're not going to be doing a lot of projects with them. But I, I'm not sure where is going to be, you know, put their hand up and say, "Hey, I'm ready to launch. Let's move this along." I I don't think that the the sports teams are are at that point yet. Is there still palpable excitement for this? Do you think, or or is is this just taking so long that it kind of curbs people's enthusiasm? Yeah, I mean, I think I think once it launches, that enthusiasm will ramp right back up. But it, the process has taken so long that I think it has dampened some of the enthusiasm. And and I think people realize, like, if they've traveled for the holidays, they could probably place a bet in whatever state they went to. Right. I mean, this has, yes. has this has come sort of all over the nation at this point, and it does feel like North Carolina is behind. Whereas, you know, maybe a year ago it felt like we would have been right at the beginning or in the middle. Now it, now it feels like North Carolina is, is dragging their feet. And I, I'm not sure that's necessarily true, but, but I think that is the impression. We got Brian Murphy here. A uh, couple more things before we uh, go to break unrelated to this. Uh, Florida State's made their uh, announcement, their intention felt, the lawsuit filed and all of that. And I know you've, you've uh, looked into that. The, the long and the short of it is it's a billion dollars is what it would end up costing Florida State to do this with, you know, the exit fee and the fees that would be associated, what they would lose from TV revenue due to the grant of rights. Now they're challenging that grant of rights. So, that process, you know, the fact that Florida State looked awful and got blown out by Georgia <laughs> is not related to right. this in any way, uh, although a lot of people were like, were having a lot of fun with that on social media. When you look at uh, this, I mean, this is one of the most poorly endowed schools in the ACC, if not the most poorly endowed school. How are they going to... How can they afford to not only pay all this on the front end, but then lose out on all that revenue? Yeah, the, the number they threw out there was $570 million, and, and then they put in this lawsuit which basically says they should pay zero. I, it feels like at the beginning of a negotiation to me that, like, okay, we've established $570 million as the high end. We've established zero as the low end. Now Florida State and the ACC, let's get together and see what we can come up with. The problem with that, and there's problems on the ACC side too, but the problem on the Florida State side is if the ACC lets them out for some lower number, say 300 million, 
well, you don't think that Clemson and, and Miami and UNC the next day are going to have $300 million ready to go and, and get out of the ACC right. uh, if they have right. an invitation to go somewhere else. So it's an existential crisis in some ways for the ACC. Now the problem on the ACC side is that those schools uh, that, that do have an opportunity to go to the SEC or go to the Big Ten are likely going to either file a lawsuit themselves or are, are rooting for Florida State in some way behind the scenes. So it, it does at some point seem like they're going to come to some negotiations. Maybe that those negotiations are going to involve ESPN. Um, at some point, they're going to have to come to some resolution. I do think the most interesting thing that came out of that entire lawsuit was the fact that ESPN has a, has the right to get out of this contract with the ACC after 2027. It's all been assumed that they have this deal through 2036, but what they actually have is a nine-year option uh, that they don't have to exercise until 2025. And so I think that gives ESPN some leverage to get involved here as well and, and try to maybe dictate where some of these teams go. Or, you know, they could just up the, the payout to the ACC. That would be the easiest way yeah. to keep the schools like Florida State and Clemson happy. They want programming, and they want the ACC to have some success. So you would you would think that because uh, that's programming, and that has been somewhat traditionally highly rated programming, uh, depending on you know the game and the season and the team. So, all right, great stuff, Brian. Thank you so much. Happy New Year to you, and uh, we'll catch you down the road. All right, thanks a lot. Happy New Year. All right, very good. Great to have Brian Murphy on. Let's take our final time out on this Get You to the Weekend edition of the PJ Show. And when we come back, we'll get you set for uh, Pirate Basketball on Sunday. And now, the stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. All right. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back. Look, uh, I just saw your uh, text in the break. All good. We'll find that out. We'll find that out. I haven't heard anything about it, so I, I think I knew the answer, but just since we had him on, I thought it would be if you ran out of things to but you ought to yeah, put a good I segment. Think, yeah, we'll, we'll dig into that and talk about it later on. How's that sound to you? Perfect. I just, I just Are don't... Are you on the... Are you in the studio on uh, Sunday for basketball? Uh, we haven't figured that out yet. I don't believe I am. Oh, okay. Is it going to be a scooter day or what? No, nah, I think as of now it's a Dom day, but we got to get some stuff worked out with next weekend, and there's a couple moving parts. Wait a minute. The triumphant return of Dom Kosolke? Is that what I'm hearing? He, he and Joey Football will be in town this weekend, finally. Gotcha. Well... They're men about town. Uh, coming up on Monday on the Patrick Johnson Show, Rini Angolia, ESPN College football analyst, will be with us to preview the national championship game. We also will have Inside ECU uh, Athletics or Inside Pirate Athletics uh, for uh, ECU coming up on uh, Monday evening from Tiebreakers. We uh, resume that series, so looking forward to uh, that coming back on uh uh, Monday with Steve and I go myself. I think we're going to do Joey football on Tuesday to recap the national championship game. I might see if Dimitri would come on with us here, and uh, we have some other great stuff planned for next week as well. We're still uh, waiting to confirm it all for you. So, uh, Big thanks to Doug Martin for joining us uh, today. Also to Brian Murphy for his uh, his go-around uh, with us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Thanks to Philip the Ref Pilkington for producing. Um, let's see here. Pirate basketball, 2.30. Airtime on Sunday 
on 94.3, the game exclusive to the Greenville and Eastern North Carolina Market Fair. The game at three as ECU will host Tulsa in the conference home opener. So good luck to the Pirates in that one. That is, uh, I think that's on the U, so uh, it will not be a plus game. So I'll be uh, watching that in NFL football probably from uh, the confines of uh, Casa de Johnson. All right, big thanks again to our great guest. Thanks to you, Pilk. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you Monday in the morning time on Talk of the Town, getting at 7 a.m. and right back here at 5 o'clock Monday with uh, an approximate time of around 2 p.m. for the video on the Patrick Johnson Show. Have a great and safe weekend, everybody. Stay dry tomorrow. Stay dry.